You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzmatidis here. Sunday morning, Memorial Day weekend. A time for all of us to think of which way our country is going, to remember our, our veterans, to remember the ones who passed away, but the ultimate sacrifice for us to be here today. We have a great show. We have Congressman Peter King talking about Memorial Day. Bruce Mosler, chairman of Cushman and Wakefield. We have Steve Cates to talk about what's going up on the skies when we look up. What's going on up there? We have Colonel Jack Jacobs, who has been awarded the Medal of Honor and his visions of Memorial Day. Speaker Newt Gingrich, who was one of the smartest speakers we had, and our country did well under him. And during his time and his actions with President uh, Bill Clinton. And let's start off the show with Michael Stoller on the real estate industry in New York. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I'm fortunate to have Jason Richter, who is the managing principal of Capricorn Retail Advisors, a very active real estate advisory firm and leasing brokers for both tenants and owners. Jason is also been involved with uh, Capricorn since 2014, and prior to that, has been involved with 2,500 deals and responsible for north of a billion dollars in aggregate real estate transactions all over the world. Very happy to have Jason today. Thank you so much for having so, me, Michael. So, you know, what is really happening in the retail segment? You know, people look at it, they say retail's dead, but recently there have been some very positive articles out there. Rumors of uh, retail's death are greatly exaggerated. So the retail market, I think, more broadly, has been pretty robust coming out of COVID. Obviously, 2020, initially, it seemed like it was pretty much dead. Uh, and before that, e-commerce had major downward pressure on the markets. But I think we saw the resilience of retail. And today, in the better markets, the quality markets, I think it's as robust as it's ever been. The demand definitely outweighs the supply. Speaking of quality markets, let's talk about Madison Avenue since we discussed it the other day. Madison is, uh, and again, when we talk about Madison, we're probably focusing mostly 57th Street on up into the 80s. You've seen a lot of great movement, ton of new deals. Um, Van Cleef, we've got uh, Valentino taking five floors, the, uh, the, the Hermes. You've got a lot of great momentum, and again, it's probably a block-by-block -block situation. So in the lower 60s, that's where the majority of the gravitas is with the luxury brands. And then as you go north, you're dealing in a bit more of the contemporary and the aspirational luxury. There are a few blocks that maybe there are a bit of a, of a lull, and I think that might be because of the side of the street or perhaps a few vacancies has stigmatized it a bit. But large in part, the demand on Madison has come back in a pretty significant way from what we saw in the mid, you know, 20, the mid 2015 to 2019, when Madison Avenue rents went from 1800 down to, to less than half. And in certain cases, they've they've kind of restarted at about three hundred dollars a foot. Let's talk about Soho. Soho, 
one of the first to bounce back from the, uh, the, the, you know, whether it was the recession, whether it was the pandemic, Soho remains strong. It is probably the New York neighborhood when retailers are looking at New York and they want to plant the flagship. A lot of the momentum has moved from uptown, whether it's Fifth or Madison, to downtown. I think it's just a cooler kind of environment and you've got critical mass of retail and the streetscapes um, with the buildings and, and the cobblestone streets, it, it, it's really a remarkable market. So, With regard to both of these markets, the Madison Avenue and the Soho, what are the rents today as compared to pre- prior to COVID? So Broadway and Soho, which is more of a mall-like environment, I think you're probably in the 400s. Um, we've saw, we saw a few deals that were less and maybe a deal or two that might be creeping up higher. But that, that's really where that's stabilized. And then when you go to some of the side streets, whether you're looking at the Springs and the Princes, um, you know, there are deals on Spring that are you know, way north of 600 closer to $800 a foot. And then, of course, each uh, of the thoroughfares like Mercer and, um, and anything else, for that matter, really has its own dynamic green. One may be more luxury, one may be more, more contemporary, but more or less, you're looking at a probably a $200 spread. And that would be West Broadway, which is the weaker part of Soho, all the way up to $1,000 a foot. And Madison, I think you're probably... Um, again, starting in that two to three hundred dollars a foot, and then going up to north of a thousand dollars a foot. What about the suburban? I know you're rather knowledgeable of the suburban market, coupled with the fact that certain of them have been repurposed. So, we do a lot throughout the country, and um, the suburbs during the pandemic really really rebounded strong because people were obviously working from home and staying at home. So whether it was food and that could be grocery, uh, drive throughs all of the sales coming out of the suburban markets were gangbusters. And a lot of folks still have not returned to the major urban cores, uh, even though we're large in part, you know, beyond the pandemic. So the suburban markets have been quite robust. And whether you're looking in and around the tri-state, the Long Islands, the Westchesters, parts of New Jersey, they rem- the retail there remains particularly strong, and we see pretty low vacancy rates. Um, some of the mall redevelopments are, are pretty interesting, and there's a lot of interest in repurposing the boxes. And where the retail may be antiquated, there's, there's major demand for, oddly or ironically, the uh, family offices that might be coming in and taking boutique office space. Medical is pretty significant as well. And, um, you know, health and wellness and, and, of course, you know, other retail uses. Okay. With re- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go completely out of the district. What about uh, cannabis? So the cannabis space is interesting, and obviously the municipalities vary on their stance throughout the country. Um, in New York in particular, we recently opened the first uh, recreational dispensaries over the course of the last year. And there are many approved active groups making plays for real estate. So uh, a few things to consider when you're looking at cannabis deals is, uh, you know, obviously the restrictions by lenders have um, really hampered developers' ability to move forward with certain cannabis deals. I'd say that's probably been the biggest hindrance. So um, there's been a bunch of deals that have landed and opened. There's a huge pipeline. And there are going to be a few coming up. We're working on one deal in particular. I can't speak to the address. It's actually at least as we speak in a, an extremely high profile 
area. So cannabis is uh, it, it's in its infancy, but obviously it's a, uh, a phenomenal business, and we're going to see a lot more of it. Who are the new players coming into town? Fred Siegel, you had mentioned to me some of the grocery chains. So, yeah, Aldi and Lidl have been making a big push into the city. Um, you've got in the fashion space folks like Viore. They opened up their first flagship here in Soho. Beautiful, beautiful store. Um, you've got a ton of wellness users. Um, you still see some of the more traditional players like TJ Maxx and all of their subsidiaries making a big play, especially with the Bed Bath & Beyond boxes coming online. But there is really a uh, what I think a, a bit of a unique time with digitally native brands, e-commerce brands, and newer concepts in general coming into the market to take uh, great space. And there is really no... Um, lack of demand in the better quality markets. With uh, like 30 seconds, let's talk about the Warby Parkers and the other, you know, who are online retailers who are now going on retail. Warby still remains a darling of the industry. They're um, highly profitable. They continue their expansion. They're on the streets. They're in the malls. The, um, the other players that, you know, you might typically talk about, whether it's the Caspers, the Outdoor Voices, which is one of our clients, um, you know, newer entrants to the markets like Roan, you've got e-commerce players remain and will continue to remain just based on the barriers to entry to open up an online store, a major transition point and customer acquisition value online versus offline, you see a, a much higher bit of conversion and margin. So I'd like to thank my retail expert for being here, Jason Richter, on the Stoller Report. Thank you once again for thank, being here. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. This is Sunday Memorial Day, a special day for many of us. We respect uh, the soldiers that, that passed, helping us live a better life in the United States of America. And uh, with us today is one great congressman, uh, Congressman Peter King. Uh, Congressman King, how do you feel this uh, Memorial Day weekend? John, to me, every Memorial Day uh, causes you to think about the tremendous sacrifices that men and women in the armed forces have made over the years. Uh, We wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't have your radio station. I wouldn't have had my career in Congress. We can go through all of that if we're not for the bravery of these men and women. And I think too often... People just look upon Memorial Day as a holiday, as a chance to get away, as a chance to get a good sale at the local shopping center or stores. So uh, I think it's really important to take at least a few minutes out to think of the sacrifices that these men and women made and also the sacrifices their family made. The family uh, went without uh, a father or a son or a brother, a cousin, uh, and uh, this is what has made America great. It's what keeps America great, and we should always keep that in mind when we complain about this, you know, this being wrong and that being wrong. Think of the overall good of how, you know, the great country we have, and it's been made great because of great people like the men and women who gave their lives defending our country. You talk about sacrifice, and I often think that I, I think about uh, Normandy, and me and you have talked about it, and I think about the, the orders the generals gave for those soldiers to to get into those boats and attack Normandy, almost going into certain death. And the decisions that were made to do that, do you think that could ever happen again, where soldiers would just march into certain death? I've been to Normandy twice, once with President Bush uh, for the uh, 
60th anniversary of Normandy, of D-Day. And you know, when you go there, I mean, the movies, the documentaries, nothing does it justice. I mean, how those soldiers got out of the boats, which is daring enough in itself, right across a long stretch of beach and then climbed up uh, cliffs that literally went straight up. And with the German soldiers at the top shooting down at them, uh, every so many things could have gone wrong. For many, you did. Many died that day and the days afterwards. Uh, could it be done today? Uh, you know, we do have a volunteer military. There's a lot of very, obviously, very dedicated people in there. But uh, it'd be difficult for a lot of reasons. One, it would be uh, very hard to get as many people involved in the military as we had during World War II, or even a, you know, an equivalent number. And then secondly, with the media, uh, if, if the media was, had been there on uh, D-Day and you saw men drowning before they even got out of the boats, or as they were getting out of the boats and saw all those bodies on, uh, on the beaches, and that was being uh, televised back to the United States, uh, people may be up in arms, and uh, it can be hard to sustain that. I mean, if, if the American people had known on January 6th, I mean, excuse me, on June 6th and on June 7th, on D-Day, if they had known uh, how vicious that was, uh, it could have made it impossible to sort of follow through on the attack. Now, thank God they were able to uh, carry, carry through because the, uh, you know, the deaths on that day were probably less than would have happened if the war had gone on otherwise. But that, that did more to shorten the war than anything. It was a real sacrifice. It was a tough decision by General Eisenhower. Uh, he uh, actually had written a statement, I think, prepared to put out if the uh, attack had, had been a failure, and he was going to take full responsibility for it. So, uh, and again, I don't know if that would happen to either. I don't know how many people would take responsibility when something goes wrong without trying to... How many soldiers, do you else. remember, how many soldiers actually died in Normandy? No, I, I don't have the count, John, but I know it was well into the thousands. I know that. And it was... Uh, Others were seriously wounded, injured. Uh, my uncle came in, I think, on two days after D-Day. Uh, he survived D-Day, but then a few weeks later, in a battle, he was actually blown out of a jeep and was seriously wounded. He survived, but he uh, spent, I think, you know, several months in the uh, Army hospital. No, that's a... Uh, uh, I, I don't think that, even though Americans have seen it, in movies, whether it's with John Wayne or whether it's uh, you know Band of Brothers, anything like that, uh, they realize just how intense and how deadly and how vicious those days were. And again, when I went there, I could not believe it. Seeing the height of those cliffs, seeing the length of the beach, and seeing the crashing waves on the on on the beach itself, uh, any one of those things to me would have stopped most people from going ahead with that. And yet somehow they made it all the way to the top. And, uh, again, it's really a great tribute to them. And if that didn't happen, maybe we'd all be speaking German today. That's Memorial Day. We have so many problems back home here. Uh, if you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, what do you worry about the most in our country right now this Memorial Day weekend? John, it's not one thing per se. It's overall whether or not we're losing our grip as a country. Uh, if we don't have borders, if basically... People in Washington can't seem to come to terms on anything. When we see the police being disrespected, when we see increasing, uh, not just increasing crimes, but increasing uh, disrespect for authority, uh, we're seeing so many uh, strange, uh, crazy things being taught to our kids in school. It just seems as if the country is 
coming close or getting closer to like coming apart at the seams. And that's what worries me. Same with immigration. I mean, you and I, I don't know if any two people are more strongly committed to immigration. I mean, you're actually an immigrant myself. All my grandparents were immigrants. I grew up in an immigrant type community. And I think immigrants, immigration is what makes America great. That's like the new force that comes in every generation or so there's a new group of immigrants coming in to revitalize the country it's almost like transfusions we're getting but now when they're coming in uncontrolled not knowing who's coming in not knowing who's sick who's healthy not knowing who could be connected to a terrorist group not knowing who could be uh, related to a drug cartel and really coming with not any real sense of loyalty to the united states just like coming in on mass so uh, that is something that really has to be addressed and we have to be able to address it without being called anti-immigrant or bigoted because you want to get immigration under, under control. It's, uh, that to me is, uh, it goes beyond the issue of just immigration. It goes to the issue of you know, whether or not we're going to be a country or not. If everyone can come in whatever they want, there's no borders, how does that make us different from any other country in the Western Hemisphere or any other country in the world? But that whole idea of institutional memory, of uh, uh, all of us banding together. We don't have a country without borders. That's for sure. Absolutely, we don't. Yeah. I think uh, some of the uh, Democrats have started to to understand that too, and and um, I think uh, we have to uh, come to a, a face down. Uh, and uh, for our city that me and you love, uh, there's 51 uh, city council seats coming up this November. So this is. Uh, how do we used to say a coming to Jesus meeting? Again, have to make this an issue in the campaigns, discuss it in an intelligent way, and hopefully get some more support from the media. I mean, 77 WABC can't do it all by itself. I mean, we have to get at least not even take our side, but at least get the issue out there and treat it as a legitimate issue. And not just yes. say that if you don't want uncontrolled. We need common sense. Somehow you're a bigot. Common we sense, need absolutely. common sense. Thank you so much, Peter King. Have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy the family, and uh, we'll catch up again uh, next week. Great. Thank you very much, John. You too. You, you and again, your whole family. Thank you. Thank you. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and... uh, he makes us wonder. We look up in the sky and we wonder what the heck is up there. Steve, this is Memorial Day weekend. What's going on? Well, good morning, John. Happy Sunday to you and a happy Memorial Day. As we celebrate, we don't say happy. We say it in the sense of remembering those that served our country. And I do appreciate that uh, moment in time, too, to share it. But, John, we talk about from the world of astronomy something called supernova. And people think they know about these things, and astronomers particularly have analyzed some things. And we find out that there's really two types of supernova. What is a supernova? It's basically one of them is when an old star, very large, can't process nuclear fuel, 
it has what would be called like an astronomy in terms of like a heart attack in the world of astronomy. The star collapses. Now, we find out, John, just this week, big news, a galaxy 21 million light years away called the Pinwheel Galaxy. I've observed it in telescopes. It's something you need a telescope for. There's a supernova there that exploded. It's called SN2023 IXF for those that want the technicals. So what does it mean? It's actually the brightest supernova that we've seen in a distant galaxy for so long. But people may be scratching their heads saying, well, how does that affect us? Well, John, the most brilliant supernova ever in history that we know of, recorded mankind history, happened in the year 1006 A.D. when a star in a southern constellation called Lupus, visible in the northern hemisphere, only 7,500 light years away, exploded. It was the brightest object in the sky, almost as brilliant as a half a moon. And it was a little different type of supernova called a Type 1A, in which two stars collide, let's say, to keep it simple. But, John, this is so amazing because this supernova was recorded by the ancients. They even do, you know, do pictures in the rocks and the petroglyphs, and they described it. But here's what happened. The Earth got hit by gamma rays. So what we're saying is this supernova that's 21 million light years away, it doesn't affect us. But, John, there are stars within, let's say, a couple of hundred light years away, maybe 500 to be exact, that could go the same way. So aren't we lucky that we don't have one, but we're kind of well overdue for a big supernova near the sun. Well, what, what else is going on? I mean, I, I, I love these things that, uh, that uh, you, uh, you, you tell us on a Sunday morning because it, it just expands the mind. Absolutely. And closer to home, John, we we're talking about supernova. About a year yep. and a half ago, there was this giant volcano that exploded underneath the ocean. It was called the Hunga Tonga Supervolcano. Well, it was imaged by, you know, weather satellites. And why we're talking about it is it actually caused what's called a giant plasma bubble. It sent electrical energy. It went around the Earth many, many times, and it actually caused an interference with the upper atmosphere called the ionosphere. Now, we talk every week, basically, or every other time we talk about the sun here on the show, on the Cats Roundtable. We talk about the power of the sun causing, you know, all these changes to the atmosphere. But this explosion of the volcano, John, actually caused an interruption in the Earth's upper atmosphere, which is even more amazing. But we continue on with these great mysteries, and I promise the mystery as we do each week. How about this one? We really don't know enough about the internals of the Earth. We think we do. Now, if we look in southern Canada or maybe the mid part of Canada, there's this big bay called the Hudson Bay. For thousands of years, maybe even more, there was this giant glacier that covered much of North America two miles thick. Well, now, John, they're saying since the glacier melted, it probably pushed rocks deeper into the earth. And what's so important about this, it's called the gravity anomaly. In other words, less mass, less gravity. So if you go up to that area, you're not going to maybe five pounds lighter, but it does affect other things here on the earth, which is very interesting. And there's another field off of Brazil called the South Atlantic anomaly. Now, that one, they think, is caused by a big bubble of matter, like material that comes out of the Earth to change and warp the magnetic field. But this one in the Hudson Bay, the mystery is, how the heck did that really form? Some say the rocks were pushed into the Earth, thus there's a change of gravity, but from physics, less mass, less gravity. What an amazing story, at least I think so. And we always remind people to look up into the sky. Dr. Sky always reminds what? Always remember to look to keep your eyes to the skies. But this week, John... If people look out into the sky just after sunset, high in the northwest is Venus. Amazing, beautiful, brilliant planet. You can't miss it. Even if you're in downtown, let's say, Manhattan or in big cities, wherever the Cats Roundtable is heard far and wide. 
But Venus is now moving up in the sky towards the planet Mars, and they're both in the area of the constellation Gemini and Cancer the Crab. So you can see one planet that's closer in, that's Venus, than the Earth, and one planet that's farther out. This is amazing stuff. And we always tell people, John, to go to the Dr. Sky Experience proudly here at WABCRadio.com to learn so much more about these mysteries. Always a privilege and honor to be with you and the listeners on the Cats Roundtable as we expand our minds on Sunday mornings. Steve Cates, I look forward to talking to you again uh, real soon. And if there's any uh, real, real mystery, make sure you, we're on Monday through Friday between 5 and 6. Make sure you text me. Absolutely, John. And always a great remembrance to those that gave their lives and those, of course, that serve in our military. They're proud heroes, and we'll never forget them. Thank you. Thank you, and God bless. Have a great uh, Memorial Day weekend. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzmatidis here. Sunday morning, Memorial Day weekend. A time for all of us to think of which way our country is going, to remember of our veterans, to remember the ones who passed away, but the ultimate sacrifice for us to be here today. We have a great show, and with us today is a Medal of Honor recipient, uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs, to tell us what he really feels uh, Americans are feeling this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs, uh, uh, it was good to see you on the Intrepid the other night, and it, it was good to have the feelings that we had uh, I listened to uh, the Secretary uh, of the Navy, SECNAV, uh, Mr. Carlos del Toro, uh, and he spoke very well. Uh, give us your feelings on what's going on in America today and how our veterans are feeling and how our soldiers are feeling. Well, you know, when you're at the, at the bottom of the food chain and people are ardently trying to kill you, you're on the battlefield, you're on a ship, you're in a plane, and you're working to preserve freedom, uh, advance America's interests, keep us safe, and keep our, our allies safe, too. You don't think much about politics, but when all the shooting stops, uh, you realize that uh, you may be the only guy out there who's trying to do what you're doing. You know, back years ago, I, I, to the extent that I grew up at all, I grew up in the shadow of the Second World War. My father saw, fought in New Guinea and the Philippines in the Army. When he came home, I was already I was already six or eight months old. He had never seen me. I was born while he was gone. He hated being drafted and hated getting shot at. Nobody likes that. But when he got to be my age, all he would talk about was how proud he was at having saved the world, and his generation had done that. Today, we have a very small number of young men and women who are out there uh, willing to protect us, and we lose, we, we forget about them. Uh, when they were, when everybody served, uh, it was you couldn't forget about it. But now that there, there are very few serving, we don't think about them. It, we only think about them from time to time. And Memorial Day is one of those times we we need to think about those and the and the young people who went out to defend us, who never came back. Um, I think about I think people who have served think about that all the time, particularly those people who've served in combat. Uh, I always thought 
that if you're lucky enough to live in a free country, you owe it something in the form of service, uh, military service, service to, to your community, and so on. Far too few people think about that. They think about themselves instead of thinking about their country and the sacrifices that give them the opportunity to be free. Now, a wide gulf, I think, has opened up between those who love this country and those who don't care about it one way or the other. As long as they're happy, they don't care about it. I think that's a very dangerous situation, John. Our country is under attack in many ways, uh, subservient ways, uh, through uh, what other governments are doing to us, whether infiltrating our borders, whether uh, sending drugs through our borders, whether paying off our universities to, to change around their systems where kids are not allowed to hear both sides of the story. Uh, it's a different kind of world war right now we're in, Jack. Yeah, we're, there are, we have threats on many, many fronts. In, in my view, uh, far more threats of a more difficult kind than we ever had before when, when we were young. Uh, you're absolutely right. I, we, we don't address them properly. It takes leadership to galvanize uh, resistance against uh, those who want to do us ill. Uh, we've got we've to become much more serious about taking care of us and our allies and our interests than we are today. We spend a lot of time, unfortunately, um, doing things that don't matter in the, at the end of the day, uh, uh, they don't make a contribution to our defense and to our well-being economically, diplomatically, uh, politically, and militarily. We're, there are lots and lots of people out there uh, who, are, who want to do us ill. And unless we pay some more attention uh, to that, I think we're not going to like the outcome, John. I, I am afraid for our country. Uh, I feel that uh, uh, this Memorial Day weekend, a lot of Americans have to have to think about what's going on and the different ways we're under attack. Uh, we're losing a lot of our allies' uh, money uh, because of uh, what's been done in the oil markets. Money, uh, wealth has been moved from North America to Russia and to the OPEC nations and to China. It, it's just... I ask all Americans to reflect on this Memorial Day weekend of what's going on in America, and if we want to save America for 2026, for 20, uh, for uh, the 200th year anniversary, um, uh, the 225th year anniversary, right? Right. What is mm -hmm. it? Oh, 250th, and then to 2076 for the 300th year anniversary. And to preserve America, I think we, we have to, we, we really have to take stock in what's going on. The one thing I think about, and, and, and a lot of people, I know you do, is to reflect on the service and sacrifice of the people who brought us to this point where we enjoy freedom, we, uh, we have uh, economic stability to the extent that we can, we can keep it. Uh, and there are people who gave everything so that we could enjoy today. And if we focus on ourselves, uh, we're gonna, we will not keep faith with the, with the people who, who sacrificed to give us 
what we have today. We have to do our bit, too. There are a lot of threats, and we need to pay attention to them. Otherwise, we're not keeping faith with those people who uh, who brought us here. Uh, uh, that's something to think about on Memorial Day. The people who sacrificed so that we can enjoy freedom. Uh, it's a bit like um, the story about um, Benjamin Franklin when he came out of the con- the um, the constitutional, I mean, not the constitutional convention, but they just, we decided that we were going to, we, we were not going to be part of Britain anymore. We were going to be independent and free. And a woman asked him as he came out uh, in Philadelphia of the building, she said, what kind of government have you crafted? And he said, a, he said, a, uh, a, a democracy, madam, uh, just as long as you keep it. Well, we better keep it. And we have a lot of work to do. We can't be complacent. We have a lot of work to do to keep it, John. Jack Jacobs, Colonel Jack Jacobs, uh, a, a recipient of the Medal of Honor. Let's work hard and, and save America one more time. Thanks so much, John. With us this Sunday morning, Memorial Day weekend, is Bruce Mosler, who's very much in, involved with the Intrepid. And also uh, with Cushman and Wakefield, he's chairman. And uh, he has a few things to say about both. Uh, Bruce, uh, I've seen you on uh, uh, Fox Business a few days ago. And uh, you were terrific. Uh, you're a real cheerleader for, for New York. Uh, tell us what the heck is going on uh, in the real estate business in New York. And are we making progress or we're falling backwards? So, John, the reality is that we're dealing in Manhattan right now with demand from corporate America that is off by about 40 percent year over year. Uh, It's notable that last year we had 35 million of take up, which is just about at the 10 year average. So one year ago, decisions were being made at the moment. Corporate America is on pause, looking to see what's going to happen from a macroeconomic perspective, geopolitical perspective and watching interest rate movement and the potential for a recession. So they're on pause. That said, we are seeing demand for the, in a flight to quality, to the new development, to um, property that has been reinvested in. So by and large, um, there's been a bifurcation in the marketplace. I look for the second half of the year to be better than the first half, but the bottom line is this, the pause is temporary. Um, we know people are back to work. We're 50% occupied and rising. There has been a structural change in the hybrid workforce, but that means people are coming in two to four days. It's not going to change the footprint materially. Right now, what's on pause is demand, not the value proposition. And uh, Tom DiNapoli says sales tax that was budgeted for $17 billion in uh, uh, April came in 40% less at $10 billion. That 40% number seems familiar with your 40% number. Well, and I think, John, it's reflective of people's apprehension about the market and about uh, an impending recession. So, you know, when sales tax is off, you're looking directly at what the consumer is thinking about. So, you know, it's to be watched. But, but the flip side is really twofold. One Tourism is up. Look, as the co-chair of the Intrepid, we track numbers very closely in terms of tourism. 
This year, our volume is close to where we were pre-pandemic, but not quite there. So we know tourism is back. That's a good thing. On the flip side, we can't ignore the fact that with rising interest rates and the potential for you know economic downturn, it is it is causing people to be more cautious. That's temporary, John. I think the broader issue is New York as a whole. To your point, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even in some cases Monday, we're back. You can't get a reservation. You can't get into a show. It's it's the vibrancy is clear. As opposed to other gateway cities, well, I don't want to say anything negative about some folks out on the West Coast, but at the end of the day, we're in very diff- in a very different place and in much better shape. You know, John, it is, it is a very difficult time. I have no doubt in the long run it will recover, just as people forget, and we want to talk about the negative, but we are 50% back in terms of occupancy. 70 is full occupancy from the reality perspective. And I'm going to tell you that a year from now, we won't be talking about occupancy. People will be back. Even in the hybrid workplace, people will be back two to four days a week minimally and maybe more. So we'll have I pray. to see. I pray. Uh, now, the, the other item folks. is uh, when you talk about tourism, uh, the mayor made a statement the other day that uh, 50 percent of the hotel rooms in New York are occupied by migrants. Where are the tourists going? Yeah, you, you know, John, I don't know because I don't track those numbers, but I think what the mayor and the governor have been saying is that the, we need help from the federal government and there needs to be a much broader plan um, as as to what to do. I think the mayor has his hands full. Uh, I praise him for all the hard work he's been doing to keep New York at the top of the heap and, and at the end of the day doing the best under very difficult circumstances and at the end of the day, we are all um, immigrants, and, and so we have to have compassion. But the bottom line is federal government has to help us. Uh, absolutely uh, correct, and I agree with you. Now, enough with, uh, with, with that. It's Memorial Day weekend. You're very much involved yes, with the Intrepid. You, you yes, had sir. a beautiful event the other night. Uh, tell us about uh, what you're doing for, for Memorial Day weekend and how you're respecting our veterans. So, John, Memorial Day is that sacred day where we are honoring those who made the ultimate sacrifice. Um, it's the day um, where President Kennedy reminds us where, and to quote him, it's to assure the survival and the success of liberty. And those that make that ultimate sacrifice are recognized on Memorial Day. Um, we host it each year on the Intrepid. Uh, we're honored to do so. Um, it's it's the least that we can do. And it also reminds us that the price of freedom is not free, that, that people pay a very dear price so that you and I and others can live and prosper in a free country. Um, and this is, this is the day to remind everyone that it comes at a cost, at a very high cost, and we're very fortunate to live in the United States of America. I agree with you. We all agree 100%. Uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Mosler, I, uh, I commend you for everything you do for, for uh, our veterans, especially with Cushman and Wakefield. I commend you on uh, your wisdom. I commend you on trying to help New York come back. And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. 
Thank you, Donna. Thank you for everything that you do so quietly and so anonymously, but nevertheless, you do it. God bless and um, Godspeed, and we'll, we'll see you soon. See you soon. Proud to be an American. With us today is former Speaker Newt Gingrich. And who else to give us what the heck is going on in Washington other than him? Newt, you're the most knowledgeable guy I know of how Washington works. Uh, and uh, nobody really knows what's going on. Give us your pulse of the situation. I did a lot of this negotiating when I was Speaker uh, and before that when I was the Republican whip. And uh, there's certain patterns. In fact, I have a new book coming out called March to the Majority, where we walk through the four years where we negotiated with Clinton. And I can tell you how this works. There's a team assigned by the president and a team assigned by Speaker McCarthy. And they're meeting all day, every day. They were meeting last night till after midnight. Uh, now, everybody else is waiting. So the speaker intelligently sent them home. Uh, but told him in advance, we may call you back. And remember, uh, Speaker McCarthy had pledged that um, <clears throat> there would be 72 hours between the drafting of a bill and it getting voted on. Well, you take a bill that's complicated, write the bill even when the agreement's done. So the members know they're probably not going to be voting before, Nick, I would say, Wednesday or Thursday at the earliest. Um, at the same time, uh, Biden has gone back to Delaware to prove that he's not too worried. But the truth is that, that he and McCarthy have a pretty good agreement that they're not going to let the system default. Uh, the Treasury can actually uh, find ways to shift money around for a while after June 1st. So although they've claimed that's the deadline, that there really are some extra days in there if they need them. Uh, my guess is that sometime in the next couple of days you see uh, a agreement announced, and at that point they've got to get the agreement written into legislative language, and uh, Biden's going to have to find some votes. I mean, the Senate, for example, you can't pass anything unless you have a substantial number of Democrats with the Republicans. In the House, uh, I'm not certain that McCarthy can get all too... 18, you know, he only passed it by one vote going in, and there are a number of hardline conservatives who potentially left their vote, and they're implying they're not going to vote for it, which, as a practical matter, makes no sense because the truth is, you know, they're they're, they're, to, they're not going to get everything. I think, I think Speaker McCarthy may get 80 percent or 85 percent of what he wants, which is a pretty huge victory. My prediction is that this will be the first debt ceiling in history where they actually cut spending. In the past, they've slowed down the rate of growth. I think this year on domestic discretionary, we're going to have a real spending cut, uh, which is a big breakthrough for fiscal conservatives. So there's a lot going on. Uh, I'm moderately optimistic that it will work out. 
country clearly is on the side of Speaker McCarthy and the Republicans by about uh, 65 to uh, 25. And the Biden position of passive, passive debt ceiling with no changes is about a 24 or 25 percent position, according to our project, America's uh, New Majority.com, uh, with America's New Majority Project.com, which I recommend people go to to see all the polling. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a big moment. I think it'll be a successful moment, but it's not done yet. Are we going to do something about the border? Um, I don't think they will in this bill, or they won't do much in this bill. Uh, there is a possibility that they will be able to transfer a good number of the new IRS agents into Border Patrol. Uh, but I suspect that's going to be another fight on another day, and maybe a tied into the appropriations process. Uh, this is, remember, this is the first of force. The second step will start uh, within a week of passing the uh, debt ceiling when the House Republicans announce a budget that will be balanced within 10 years, which will be a huge breakthrough in fiscal policy. The third step, of course, is already underway, and that's a wave of hearings and investigations that will target agencies that need to be zeroed out. And the fourth step is going to be a big fight, I think, all fall over appropriations. And that's where we'll see a specific provision that says they have to control the border. It's almost certainly going to come up in the appropriations bills, and that's where that fight will happen. Understood. Uh, Memorial Day uh, weekend, this weekend coming. Uh, anything you want to tell the American people? How do you feel? Well, we feel pretty good about it. I think Calista and I both uh, feel like we have a got to be grateful for this Memorial Day. and uh, We really encourage every American to remember that despite whatever our problems are, um, this is an amazing country with amazing opportunity. There's a reason that we're the one country in the world that has to worry about people coming in. You know, we, we don't worry about people leaving America, but we attract people from everywhere on the planet. And that's because we have been blessed uh, with the freest uh, and most prosperous country in history. And I think there's a lot this Memorial Day, both to remember those who sacrificed for us to be free and those who worked so hard for us to be prosperous. Uh, and I'm, I'm personally uh, going to be with our, our, our daughter and our son-in-law and we're just looking forward to a real family Memorial Day weekend. Well, thank you so much. And you got a new book. Uh, it's yeah, March to the Majority, and it's available and, uh, in uh, uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles, I'm sure. Right. What else do you want to tell us about the book? Well, well, it really is the 16-year effort to create a majority and the four years of negotiating with Bill Clinton to get conservative reform signed. And I'm really excited because anybody listening to us can go to Amazon, put in March to the Majority, and there'll be a, a thing that says, uh, look inside. And if you do, you get a free chapter of the book. So you have a real chance, you have a chance for free to see what the book's all about. And I think uh, when people's, it's, a, it's not just a history book. It's kind of a cookbook of how you do things like negotiate over the debt ceiling or get tax cuts or get welfare reform. And it has a lot of very specific ideas about things that actually work. So I think March the Majority may be the most important book I've written and certainly will give people a sense of hope that we can, in fact, solve our problems. Well, Newt Gingrich, former speaker, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and God bless America.
Good. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Metropolitan Edition of the Cats Roundtable. After the news, stay tuned for the National Edition and Lara Trump. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.